This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is brought to you by Luton Rising, owners of London Luton Airport, the UK's most socially impactful airport. Find out more at lutonrising.org.uk. This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is sponsored by BT, because BT means business. BT knows that businesses come in many shapes, sizes and guises, from the person just starting out at their kitchen table to the biggest employer, which is why no matter what line of work you're in, they've got your back to help you succeed and do what you do best. No doubt connectivity is a must in Westminster, and it certainly helped us to get this episode created and distributed to you listening right now. BT already connects more than 1 million businesses and public sector organisations, offering secure and reliable connectivity. Nearly three quarters of people running a business or side hustle feel they couldn't do so without reliable broadband and mobile connectivity. That's why having connectivity you can count on is a must for business, whether it be facilitating multiple devices being connected at once or making team calls or guest wi-fi access for customers bt's connectivity helps keep you and your customers happy whatever your business bt's got your back search bt's got your back hello this is the red box podcast i'm matt chorley we've reached the end of another week we've reached halfway through the year it's all going so very well Uh, now thanks to those of you who got in touch already this week about wanting to come on my times radio show and play our hugely popular quiz can you get to number 10 10 questions loosely connect to 10 cabinet jobs the more questions you get right the better the job you get to taking your place alongside our listeners and guests and now we have a website uh, it's called can you get to number 10.co.uk that's number spelled out n-u-m-b-e-r can you get to number 10.co.uk We've just launched it because my Times Radio show is sponsored by GoDaddy. And uh, so I built the website. We'll add to it over time. But if you want to come on and play the quiz, email me with your details. Matt.Chorley at times.radio. We'll get you on the radio very soon. Right, coming up on today's episode. Well, Labour snuck home. They managed to hang on in Batley and Spen. But is this possibly the worst possible result for Keir Starmer? Does he declare victory and carry on regardless? Lots of his MPs. Still not very happy with how things are going. We hear from Peter Mandelson and Diane Abbott, plus Eleni Correa and pollster Chris Curtis, about what all this means for Labour going forward. Uh, that's coming up in just a moment. First, our columnist panel, and today we've got Melanie Reid from The Times and Matthew Side from The Sunday Times. Let's start with the, sort of the, me- the big political story of the day. How pleased with himself should Keir Starmer be this morning, do you think, Melanie? Well, I think he should be extremely pleased with himself um, because if if it hadn't been for one of those sort of great unknowables of politics, the, the sort of Matt Hancock effect, we'd be sitting here talking about um, the possibility of Labour's next female leader, wouldn't we? You, you think so, that it was Matt Hancock what won it for Labour? I, I'm inclined to think that way, yeah. I mean, 323 votes and, and the Conservative uh, campaigners did admit that it was a big subject on the doorsteps, didn't they? <laughs> they did today. So, they were slightly less yeah. keen to admit that yesterday, but they are saying yeah. it today. Uh, yeah. What about you, Matthew? Yeah, I think uh, I think that's true. I think the Hancock story uh, has provoked massive and potentially lasting anger uh, people, you know, of all sorts of different backgrounds were horrified, I think, that the Prime Minister didn't sack him immediately on finding out what he'd been up to. Um, but I do, I do think the more general trend here is, is very dangerous for Labour. Uh, the vote in the working class communities has been dropping since 2005. 
Um, and uh, I, I think it's going to be, you know, notwithstanding this this decent result, it's going to be extraordinarily difficult for them to assemble a winning coalition at the next election. And uh, I, I sort of wonder whether, you know, the Labour feel like maybe had a decent week. They've hammered uh, you, you, the Conservatives on Matt Hancock. You know, actually, Keir Starmer had a pretty decent PMQs by his standards this week. Uh, finally managed to nail the one rule for them and another for everyone else. Um, but uh, uh, yeah, ultimately, he's ended up holding a seat which has been Labour for 25 years. That's a long way from, uh, you know, making the gains uh, across England and even in Scotland, uh, where, which which seems such a long way off, which he's going to need to make those gains. He's got any hope of becoming Prime Minister. Yeah, to become to become, to become Prime Minister, he'd have to get, you know, another 20 seats in, in Scotland back. But, I mean, he, he can now start spinning this as, as a turning point, as a time for change, a time of consolidation. Um, I, I mean, as Red Box said this morning, good luck to anyone trying to reset the narrative. But that's what he's going to have to do. And, um, you know... It's it's just going to come a general election. George Galloway can't stay, can't stand in every in every constituency. I mean, thank God. Thank uh, God. You know, <laughs> um, uh, I mean, what a wrecking ball. Um, you know, without let's let's not forget that without George, who is a, a one-off, and um, we have to be terribly careful what we say with him because he'll he'll sue us for saying anything. But um, with with He's a one-off, and without him, um, Labour Labour would have won this seat, you know, reasonably securely. Yes, well, well possibly. I mean, as the other thing that people have been pointing out in the, um, if you look, sort of, what was it like a dozen, fifteen, sixteen uh, candidates in this? It's very difficult because you know the whole world piles in, and you wonder, well, how many votes the Tories lost to some you know, fringe group or whatever, you know, George Galloway was uh, um, very high profile too. If you were giving advice to Keir Starmer, both of you, uh, this morning, what do you think he needs to do uh, um, to try and capitalise on this? So we're not back, as you were joking, Melanie, uh, we're not back this time next week talking about Angela Rayner um, uh, planning another leadership bid. Well, it's a really hard one, isn't it? Because he's such a palpably decent guy. Um, and, uh, you know, he, he's the kind of guy that you'd, you'd, you'd want your daughter to marry. But he's just not got that kind of that charisma, that that uh, that lightness of 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 uh, movement that uh, you you kind of want for in a politician. He needs to be a bit more sparkly, roguish. Um, I, you know, maybe maybe he needs to go on an eighteen club thirty holiday or something. Just sort <laughs> of, you know, just. You, you kind of want him to break out a bit in 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 the sort of nicest possible way. Um, I it's very hard. How how you know how rotten are we in this world that that we we condemn someone for just being too nice and decent? Um, well, is, or is it or is it a bit more than that, uh, Matthew? The, the part of politics is connecting with people, and if you are a bit dull, uh, yeah, you could be a perfectly decent person. But the number of times I've uh, down the years I've been told, if only everyone in the country could meet Gordon Brown personally, if only everyone in the country could meet Ed Miliband personally, they'd realise they're not as weird as they come across on the telly or whatever. And you get exactly the same conversations now from people around uh, Keir Starmer. And like it or not, that is part of the game. Part of Boris Johnson's huge electoral appeal isn't to do with how, was it, whether it was 10 hospitals or 40 hospitals. It's his, it's his personality, it's his personal connection with, with millions of voters. 
I have to say, probably like you, I, ha I have met uh, Ed Miliband um, and Gordon Brown and Boris Johnson. I mean, Ed Miliband and Gordon Brown, I thought, were a bit odd. <laughs> <laughs> well, I suppose these things are all relative. Honest. They're all, they're all, the, these uh, yeah. are all relative. Slightly Unusual characters. Yeah. I remember meeting Ed anyway, but uh, I, I actually, this is probably too much information, Matt, but I remember it, uh, when I was in the Labour Party and, and keen on getting a safe seat back in the dim and distant past. I was at a fundraiser at Wembley Stadium and I went to the Gents Labs and uh, Gordon Brown, who was Prime Minister at the time, came and stood next to me as I, as we were both doing our things. So that was a, a quite an awkward conversation <laughs> uh, with the Prime Minister that I, I shall never forget. Did, he, did um, he, as he did in every conversation with everyone, say, thank you for all that you do while standing at the... Uh... <laughs> While standing in the arena, well, he he had told a story that he always told. Uh, I won't repeat it about Ronald Reagan, and uh, I I mentioned that I'd quite enjoyed the joke, but it was so awkward. And the two, the other thing that was awkward is that two of his his security details standing at the entrance to the labs to make sure everything was okay. So it was surreal on a number of different levels. Ed Miliband. Um, I got to know reasonably well, uh, and he was um, de definitely an eccentric character. I don't know that he would have been elected if everyone had met him. He's certainly a nice guy in many ways. <laughs> not, not, not many. But um, on on that, sorry, you wanted a serious answer. No, I think, here, but, but I um, think, but I think you're making I an think... interesting point that actually voters can pick this up. They can work out: is this someone who you know the going to the pub test? There was a brilliant line in um, uh, Paul War from HuffPost did a sort of pre what do they call it a pre-mortem uh on the basis that they were going to lose battle and spend and sort of all the infighting has started before and uh on the sort of you know people want to go to the pub with boris johnson they don't want to go to the pub with keir starmer he doesn't pass the pub test and um someone uh spinning for keir starmer said oh it's a bit unfair to do the pub test because all the pubs have been shut which sort of slightly <laughs> overlooks the uh the point of the pub it's not literally going to the pub with him it's just whether or not he's sort of has that uh, personality? Um, can, can I can I make this? Uh, can I bring in the ladies here, please? Yes, Could we absolutely. Have a, a, a lady pop. Which no, politicians have you been to the to the ladies' toilets with, Melanie? That's well, what we want to know. This is, you know, this this would be this would be the equivalent, wouldn't it? It would be like uh, going to the pub with a bloke. It's like who could you go to the ladies with and call and have a nice chat over the cubicle wall with? That is the same, that is the sort of the corresponding test for a, a good female politician, that she could have a nice little chat while you were, you were both doing your thing. And, you know, because that's what women do. I mean, I'd like to tell you this. That's what women do. You know, blokes may sort of feel uncomfortable and shuffle a bit, but women have a nice <laughs> chat. And so who so, is it? Is there anyone in the Labour Party who you think passes yeah, that like, test? Well, I, I think I could have a, a good pee chat with Yvette Cooper. There we are. That's that's the, this is the test. This is the test that we need to pass. This is this is um, yeah. uh, well. We we await. We wait and see. We wait and see if uh, if uh, maybe, I, maybe that should be part of the selection process. Yeah. yeah. Can I make? Uh, no, exactly. I, I think that's not a bad idea. But just one, just one slightly moderately serious point. If you'll forgive me, yeah, I, of course, I do we'll think allow you. We'll allow you. <laughs> the data, the the survey evidence indicates, I think that the British. The majority of the British people, their instincts are very sound on on policy. They lean to the left on economics, 
and to the right on what's sometimes called cultural and identity issues. And I don't think this is coincidental. I think you can only really be on the left economically and to create meaningful redistribution and create a socially just society with a strong society with high levels of social solidarity. And I think that, um, you know, Johnson is obviously trying to create a policy platform that plays to both of these wings of, of the British instinct. And I think Starmer has to do the same. But he has a very ample opportunity because what the economy has become, I think, over recent decades is very cronyistic. The revolving door between politics and big business, uh, one rule for, for the rich, a different one for the poor, a sort of a fracture in society between the super rich who are extracting most of the gains of economic growth. And I think if he can if he can pitch that and sell it in a more effective way, um, with a with, with with a strong message on on a support for the nation state and and to mention borders without sounding racist. I think there's an opportunity uh, for for Starmer, if if that would be my sort of brief analysis, if if, if you don't mind. No. But yeah, I think he's got a chance. Well, there we are. But we await we to see uh, if he takes any of your advice. I'm sure he's listening. I'm sure he does listen. Now, before I let you go, obviously the big thing, never mind politics, let's talk about sport, big weekend of sport. Uh, are you tennis or are you football, Melody? Tennis, tennis, tennis. I am absolutely so happy and thrilled about Emma Raducanu. I think she's fantastic. And at the same time, as I say that, I worry that I'm like, Two-thirds of the British public, I'm burdening her with too much of a... Because <laughs> <laughs> she's very young. She's only a teenager. She's through to the third round of Wimbledon. It's only her second ever senior Grand Slam match uh, uh, that, that put her through. Um, and there is a, we've been here many times before, haven't we? They're the next big star. Uh, we have, yeah. It's, it's you know, and the... The, you know, the, just the weight of expectation we place on these kids. I mean, and the, the you know, there's so many. Look at, look at, remember Laura Robson? And, and you know, she was the next great hope. And look at the the, the injury. She's been injury struck for years now. And it's it's so sad. But Emma, you know, she's the full package. She looks beautiful. I mean, that helps. And, and I, I know it's a sexy thing to say, but unfortunately, that'll that'll make her even more of a star. And have ground strokes. I mean, I would have, you know, I was, I felt weak just watching her yesterday. Fantastic kid. Well, fantastic. What about you, uh, Matthew? Wimbledon or the Euros for you? I love them both. I, I, uh, tennis, I think, is my, my main sporting love. But I've got to say the Euros is is massive. I mean, the victory over Germany was hugely significant. We've got, to, I think, we're favourites to win the, the quarterfinals. Again, Melanie's right. We don't want to get ahead of ourselves. But I think England have... A, a bigger chance of winning a major competition now than than for for fifty years. Melanie Reed and Matthew Side there, and of course you can read them both every week. Just get yourself a Times digital subscription. Go to the Times.co.uk forward slash Times Red Box. Up next, what does Batley and Spen really mean? Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. 
Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is brought to you by Luton Rising, owners of London Luton Airport, the UK's most socially impactful airport. Find out more at lutonrising.org.uk. You're listening to the Red Box Podcast. Now, let's take a look at that by-election result overnight. Labour just hanging on in Batley and Spen. I do hereby declare that Kim Michelle Ledbetter is duly elected. So, Labour won. Kim Ledbetter, the sister, of course, of uh, Joe Cox, uh, the Labour MP who was murdered in Batley and Spen back in 2016. Uh, it was Tracy Brabin, the former Coronation Street actress who replaced with the MP. Uh, Tracy Brabin then stood down earlier this year. So, uh, triggering this by-election, Kip Ledbetter, the MP of Joe Cox, winning the seat by just 323 votes. The focus now is catching up on a bit of sleep, um, maybe having a few glasses of fizz, um, and then there's lots to do. And I think the campaign has highlighted that there's lots to do. But I'm going to crack on with it, and I will do my very best to represent the whole of Batley and Spen as their new MP. I'm absolutely delighted that the people of Batley and Spen have rejected division and they've voted for hope. Thank you very much, everybody. Thank you. We've rejected division and voted for hope by uh, 323 votes. Uh, right, let's uh, find out in a moment. We'll speak to uh, Peter Mandelson and Diane Abbott to get their take on what all of this means, what Labour needs to do next. Uh, but first, let's speak to Eleni Korea, political reporter at The Times. Hi, Eleni. Hi, Matt. Hi. So, what's the immediate sort of impact of this result? I mean, clearly, this is better for Keir Starmer than... Uh, losing the seat, but 320, perhaps shouldn't we too much into 323 votes? Yes, exactly. I mean, if, you know, if there was a few hundred votes that went the other way, <clears throat> we would have had a very different story to tell today. And it would have been all about how catastrophic, um, catastrophically badly Labour has been doing since, um, in, you know, since the coronavirus crisis and Keir Starmer became leader. But actually, um, you know, Labour scraped through and as a result, it's, you know, a huge relief for the party and a triumph for, for, for Starmer, um, according to many of his supporters. I guess one thing to, to sort of emphasise, actually, is that George Galloway took away a lot of votes in this election, about 8,000. So the fact that um, Labour did, did win is remarkable because most votes that George Galloway attracted are thought to have been Labour votes. So, you know, with, without his candidacy... Uh, Labour would have likely had a, a significantly larger majority. And where does this put uh, all the talk in the last uh, week or so of Angela Rayner on manoeuvres? You've got a great story in the paper today about how she's already lining up the unions uh, to um, uh, to back the uh, leadership bid, which definitely doesn't exist. Um, I, I mean, clearly, you know, yes, Keir, or... Keir Starmer's doing his victory <laughs> lap this morning, but where, where does this put his his long-term uh, stability? It definitely buys him more time. And, you know, the, the Angela Rayner allies who have been uh, behind the scenes preparing for potential leadership challenge and uh, whipping up support amongst MPs and trade unions are definitely having to lay low today. Um, and, you know, the question is now what Keir does about the people who have shown this disloyalty over the last few days and weeks. You know, it, while the party was in the middle of this very difficult by-election campaign, they were, instead of campaigning and supporting 
him and the party they were sort of plotting uh, for his successor, for Angela Rayner to to replace him. So, you know, what will Starmer do about that? You know, th- that kind of group of people now is 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 a very important question. Uh, but they are definitely weakened, and he has been emboldened by this result, and this buys him more time over the next few months to try and win back, uh, sort of you know restate his authority and win back support among the MPs who have been questioning his leadership over the past few months. I, I, mean, I suppose there is a risk in this, um, and I've, I've written about this in my column for the um, uh, Times tomorrow, that... Um, you know, if, if Keir Starmer tries to seek revenge on Angela Rayner, the last time he did that, he tried to sack her and ended up promoting her to a a job with a, an enormous job title. I mean, there's a risk that if he, he sort of moves against her again, she'll end up as the Archbishop of Canterbury by accident. So um, what what is the state of that relationship between Angela Rayner and Keir Starmer? Well, you know, it's it's definitely been fraught over the past few months. As you say, the kind of the, the moment at which it all exploded was when he attempted to sack her sort of briefed out that he was going to she resisted and then he ended up having to spend more than 24 hours negotiating a set of new roles for her and the the whole affair uh, angered people on all sides of the party so much that he just ended up being weakened by it and you know that you you can definitely um we can we can definitely safely assume that he will be avoiding doing something similar again i mean he might he might try to Put an emphasis on unity um, and and kind of you know especially when it comes to Angela herself. It's a question of you know other people who are perhaps more on the left of the party who are allied to her or perhaps using her as a way to challenge him and try and get another Jeremy Corbyn type figure um, in his place who he might want to act against. But definitely, I mean, we 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 you wouldn't expect him if he's being sensible to try and undermine his deputy leader again. But, you know, who knows? The day is long. <laughs> <laughs> the day is, the day is long, <laughs> indeed. And um, behind the scenes, there have been changes. And, you know, it, it's, it's, all, it's, it's, you know, it's in the weeds sometimes for political nerds. But if, it's, if this isn't a safe space for that, I don't know. Uh, I don't know where, where is. You know, you've got a new political director, Luke Sullivan, has, has come in. You've got uh, Deborah Mattinson, um, who's been on this show many times, for, former pollster for Gordon Brown's coming in as a head of strategy. Um, Shabana Mahmood was running the, mm. the, this campaign. Conor McGinn's a Labour MP who's uh, been seen to have sort of uh, you know, toughen things up a bit, read the right act a bit to some uh, of his colleagues. Is there a sense that Keir Starmer's machine is improving? Yes, exactly. I mean, all these people are very newly appointed. It's it remains to be seen how right. well they perform, whether they manage to t- turn around the operation. Um, but, you know, already Labour figures are crediting Shabana Mahmood, who, as you said, is the national campaign coordinator with this victory. They're saying that Appointing her has really turned things around for the party, that that was the kind of turning point for the battle and spend by-election. That awkwardly, the person she replaced in that role was Angela Rayner. So sort of by, by replacing, by praising Giovanna Mahmood's performance in that role, you know, sort of saying Angela Rayner wasn't very good, which risks reigniting that whole row. But definitely, you know, aside from Shabana, there's a lot of new appointments uh, been made to Keir Starmer's core team, a lot of departures. And there will definitely be hopes in the leader's office that these new people will be able to um, shore up his authority and um, sharpen up his political operation. Uh, but it, it, it's, it's really too soon to say how effective they are and how effective they will be. 
Well, Lenny, lovely to speak to you. I know you'll be keeping an eye on uh, exactly what's going on in the uh, inner workings of the of the Labour Party. Uh, let's go now uh, live to Chris Curtis. Uh, he was here a couple of weeks ago after the fallout of the Cheshire and Amersham by-election. Chris is a pollster uh, for Opinion and joins us now live from a, uh, a verge in Cornwall. Morning, Chris. Good morning, Matt. <laughs> I saw your picture on Twitter this morning. Um, it's, you know, is it sunny? It's not very sunny, is it? No, it's gorgeous. The weather's gorgeous down there. Absolutely beautiful. Oh. Great time to come down. I don't want to hear that. I don't want to hear that. <laughs> right. Um, so from a pollster's point of view, what do you make of the battling spend result? Should we make too much of it? Uh, yeah. Was what in particular? Because there were, you know, it wasn't that long ago we were seeing polls putting the Tories ahead. Uh, so what's happened here? I mean, from a pollster's point of view, I'm basically going to ignore the difference between a 343-vote victory for the Labour Party in Batley and Spen and a 343-vote victory for the Conservatives in Batley and Spen. It's, 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 it's almost irrelevant to the kind of analysis that we do because what we've been seeing in the polls is fairly consistent over many months, a lead of around 10 points to the Labour Party, uh, to the Conservatives, to Boris Johnson's Conservatives, mostly off the back of the successful vaccine rollout and Boris Johnson, the Conservatives' numbers being boosted off the back of that. And over that period, we've had three by-elections, one of which the Conservatives did very well in, um, up in Hartlepool, one of which um, the Conservatives did very badly in, in Chesham and Amersham, and then obviously this one, which the Conservatives didn't do particularly well in. But Overall, the, the picture's still been the same over all of those three um, by-elections. The Conservatives hold a comfortable lead in the polls. The only reason that it's been different in those seats is because of you know, weird, unique factors, dropping turnout, and a sort of strange way that by-elections tend to operate. So I think really it's, it's more important for me to be paying attention to those national numbers when thinking about what it means for the parties going into the next election than the kind of quirks of what happened in any, any specific by-election. And, in terms, you know, for a while now, uh, Team Starm has been saying, oh, it's early days yet, you wouldn't expect him to be um, ahead at this stage, there's a long way to go and all of that. And what, I mean, we are, you know, the end of this year will be two years uh, since the, the general election. It's coming up, was it next week, I think? It's two years since Boris Johnson first became Prime Minister. Um, so we're, we're a fair way into this Parliament already. There's already talk of, well, if we have an early election in 2023... We could be now less than two, you know, we could be 18 months away from the start of that campaign, potentially. So um, at what point does the Labour Party have to worry about the fact that the Tories are still 10, 12 points ahead in the polls? And that on the question of who makes the best prime minister, Keir Starmer is currently third mm. behind Boris Johnson and don't know. Well, it's interesting. I mean, if I were the Labour Party, I'd be worrying a lot more about Keir Starmer's personal ratings than I would be about the overall um, voting intention numbers, um, because actually that's a number that this far out is often quite hard to turn around. We saw Ed Miliband really struggle to turn that around, for example, in the 2010 to 2015 Parliament when he fell behind David Cameron. So that's the number I think that they should be focusing a lot more on and worrying about. But I do think we have to remember how volatile politics is at the moment. You know, in the 20... In the 2017 election campaign, Labour went from 24 points to 40 points during the election campaign itself. Uh, in 2019, the Labour Party dropped down to about 18% in the polls at one point before moving back to 32% um, on election day. So we do see big move movements, even you know in the months running up to the election campaign itself. In the past three elections, Labour has seen a surge in its support during the election campaign itself, and I wouldn't sort of rule out that potentially happening again. So... Yeah, obviously this is not a good situation for the Labour Party to be in, but with the, how volatile politics is at the moment, I don't think you can still rule out the potential for Labour to come back between now and the next general election. 
Lovely stuff. That's a picture from the polls. That's uh, Chris Curtis, uh, pollster at Opinion, joining us live from Cornwall. Get back to the sunshine, Chris. Buy yourself an ice cream. Uh, right, but up next, we'll get some advice for Keir Starmer from uh, both wings of the Labour Party. We'll speak to Peter Mandelson and Diane Abbott. Matt Chorley on Times Radio with GoDaddy, the official domain name, website builder and web hosting partner of Team GB. Well, nice to have you with us here on Times Radio. We're taking a look at the fallout of the Batley and Spend by-election uh, and uh, what, it sh- what it means going forward. There was lots of speculation that if he'd lost today, uh, then Keir Starmer might have faced a challenge to his leadership. Is 323 votes enough uh, to shore him up? In a moment, we'll hear from Diane Abbott, the former uh, Shadow Home Secretary under Jeremy Corbyn. But first of all, let's speak to... Well, I won't do all of his job titles because there's almost as many as uh, as Angela Rayner, but former business secretary, we'll call him, Peter Madison. Lord Madison, good morning. Good morning, Matt. Uh, nice to have you. At least my, at least my titles were you know, in government when we were elected, <laughs> you know, when we had, in the days when we had a Labour government. So are you more or less confident that you'll ever see another Labour co- uh, government again this morning than you were yesterday? I am more confident. Uh, that we will see a, a Labour government again as long as we change the party, put it in order, widen our appeal and show that we are a viable alternative to the Tories. I mean, today should be a day of celebration for the, the party. Uh, those days have been all too rare over the last decade. But it's not a day, in my view, for complacency. You know, Keir Starmer must now be given the chance to really lead. You know, the people who are standing in his way, trying to hold him back, have really got to step aside and get out of his way because we face a mammoth challenge and who, it's who, fundamental who reform those, and change in the party. Who are those people standing in his way? Who, who's stopping Keir Starmer uh, storming the polls? Oh, it's uh, people who, who want to tie him uh, to our vote-losing uh, policies of the last decade, who want to shackle him to the programme that had lost all credibility in the last election in 2019. Uh, and, and tie us to everything else that cost us four general elections in a row since we were last in government. I mean, these are the people who need to stop trying to derail Keir Starmer and allow him to turn Labour into an election-winning party again. Uh, I think you're going to talk to one of them in a moment. We are. We're going to speak to Diane Abbott in a moment. <laughs> we'll, get, we'll get her right. take on it. Um, how much should Labour be celebrating hanging on to a seat that had been Labour since the days of Tony Blair in 1997. Surely by now, at this point, after 11 years of Conservative government, or Conservative-led governments of one sort or another, um, uh, you, you need more to be able to celebrate than hanging on to a seat you've held for a quarter of a century. Uh, of course, of course. But look, Labour's situation now has been a decade in the making, not sort of a year in the making. Um, and, you know, it was never going to be fixed just in with one last heave by a new leader, uh, Keir Starmer. Do you think um, he can not, fix it? Not, if, you, if you've not, seen evidence not, that he's got what it not, takes to fix it? Not least because the last year has been a very abnormal political COVID uh, year. But, the, the, Matt, what we have to understand is, and be honest with ourselves about this, we've spent years throwing away the trust of our own supporters. They either didn't know what a vote for Labour meant anymore, or they saw only too clearly and rejected it. Now, rebuilding trust takes time, but I do believe we can do it. Uh, you know, and I have no doubt at all, and I say this to Keir's detractors, it's not the leader who needs changing, it's the party itself that needs to change. That is absolutely uh, clear to me. The people 
who want to come back and embrace a viable alternative to the Tories. Many of our previous supporters, centre ground uh, uh, voters, you know, they, they want to see in, in the Labour Party uh, a clear programme. They want to uh, have an, an outlook uh, uh, towards the future, an optimism for Britain, ambitions for the country, policies that address their day-to-day -day, uh, lives. Because at the moment, that's not how we are seen. And, and we're, as a result, we're not pulling people uh, towards us in sufficient uh, numbers. Uh, there are many people who have deserted us, who have gone to the Tories and other parties, who are holding back, you know, uh, and we've got to give them sufficient reason to cross the line uh, and renew their confidence and their faith in Labour. Um, Keir Starmer's carried out quite a few changes to uh, his team in, in the past uh, um, couple of weeks. Uh, are you now part of Team Starmer? Oh, I'm I'm a strong supporter of Keir Starmer, yes, and, and what he's doing. I don't hold any formal uh, post or role in his team, no, but I'm a strong supporter. Um, and having sort of fought uh, general elections, national campaigns as the campaign's former, the uh, party's former campaign director, communications director, the, uh, the, the campaign manager who worked in the 1997 victory, you know, if there's anything from my experience I can offer, I certainly will do so. How, how often do you speak to Keir Starmer? Is it sort of every day? No, I don't speak to Keir Starmer, uh, funnily enough. Uh, he's, he's a busy guy. He's got his work to do. Uh, if I had a formal role, no doubt I would speak to him every day, but I don't, as I've already told you. And, and looking uh, ahead, um, at what point do you need to see some improvement? Because I was looking at the polls this morning, exactly this time a year ago, in the YouGov tracker poll, the Tories were 10 points ahead of Labour. Today, they're 11 points ahead of Labour. The entire Everything that's happened in the past 12 months, lockdown chaos, exams chaos, Christmas cancelled, yeah. all of yeah. that. Even a, that, even a, but, a but, cabinet but, minister but residing actually, in a sex scandal. Uh, and the Labour Party can't, can't apparently make any impact on all of that. Funnily enough, Matt, I think normal politics has been cancelled for the last year. I think I think a lot of people have just suspended judgment uh, about what they want in the future in order to get through the present. Now, uh, as we go through into the autumn, uh, as we sort of, you know, emerge blinking into the daylight from this, what has been a very long, dark tunnel in the last year, when the furlough programme ends and people are faced with the realities, the economic and employment realities of the economic impact that the pandemic has had, when people are, have a chance to reflect back on the last year uh, and some of the Prime Minister's uh, missteps uh, and judgments, they will draw conclusions about what they want to have in the future. But in the meantime, they are determined and focused on getting through the present. Peter Madison, lovely to speak to you uh, here on Times Radio. Peter Madison, former Business Secretary, of course, uh, cheerleader for Keir Starmer, but apparently not a member of uh, Team Starmer. Uh, let's now speak to Diane Abbott. Uh, I think it's fair to say from the other wing of the uh, of the Labour Party. It's a very broad church, the Labour Party. Uh, former uh, Shadow Home Secretary, of course, uh, Labour MP for Hackney North. Good morning, Diane. Good morning. What's your uh, take on uh, both the result and also uh, what um, Peter Mandelson was saying? It's all your fault. It's all your fault that Keir Starmer's not doing better. <laughs> I have to tell you, uh, Peter Mandelson's been saying that for very many years. Uh, so it's not a new narrative on his part. What I would say about the result is it's a 
great result. It's a great result for the people of Bally and Spen, who will have the excellent Labour representation in Parliament they're used to. It's a great result for the people, a lot of them women, who actually led the campaign. Holly Lynch on the ground in Bally and Spen, Shabana Mood nationally. Because, you know, the organisation was key in this, because in such a tight result, every door you knock on is important. But above all, it's a great result for the Labour Party. Is it? And a great result. Only just, yes, clinging, yes, only, only just clinging, after t- 11 years of Conservative government, only just clinging on to a seat you've had for a quarter of a century is a great result for the Labour Party. Yeah, but we've had people like you seeking to undermine the Labour Party under Jeremy's leadership and still now. And I should also say it's a great so result. It's my fault. It's my it's fault the, the Labour Party's doing so. Peter Madison West, thinks West, it's yours and you think it's, it's mine. <laughs> it's West. It's Westminster journalists who have distorted the narrative and consistently sought to undermine the Labour Party. So is Keir Starmer up to the job of shifting that narrative, of taking on nasty old people like me and persuading people that he's got up to the job of being Prime Minister? I would like to think so. I mean, if he can't take on you, I mean... <laughs> Even I wouldn't be so cruel as to say that. <laughs> what would you like to see? I'll ask you the same question, really, to, in terms of uh, ask Peter Madison. In the last t- 12 months, uh, the Labour Party's gone from uh, 10 points behind to 11 points behind. At what point does that need to change before you start coming on my show and saying, Keir Starmer's got to go, we need someone else? I think that we've had a tremendous push forward from the results in Batley and Spen. And- I think we need to build on that. But we do need to sharpen our policy focus and to actually get those policies across. Because a lot of people, um, not just on the, the right or the left, but just people generally, aren't completely sure what we stand for. We, make, we, want, we need to make it beyond doubt what we stand for. For instance, that at one point when Keir became leader, he was talking about making social care free at the point of use. Now they're backing off that. I think that's a mistake. The policy on social care is popular and we should continue to push it. That's all we've got time for on this episode of the Red Box Podcast. Don't forget you can listen to me live Monday to Friday, 10 till 1 on Times Radio. We bring you the best bits here on the podcast. And if you're feeling particularly nice, why not wait and review us wherever you get your podcasts from. This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is brought to you by Luton Rising, owners of London Luton Airport, the UK's most socially impactful airport. Find out more at lutonrising.org.uk. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.